This multi-unit focus series of the Global Franchise Podcast is brought to you by Fantastic Services, Platinum Way Franchising, Goldstein Legal, Fishman PR and Rev PR. For more information on all of our sponsors, make sure to head over to globalfranchisemagazine.com forward slash multi-unit month. Welcome to the multi-unit month takeover of the Global Franchise Podcast. I'm Kieran McLoon, Deputy Editor for Global Franchise Magazine, and this month I'll be taking you on a journey exploring the biggest trend in the industry right now, multi-unit franchising. At its core, multi-unit franchising is about franchisees using their experience, infrastructure and capital to further develop their network. It's a practice that has taken hold the world over, but especially in the states where over half of all franchisees own multiple units. And it's growing. Fran Data reports that from 2010 to 2018, the number of multi-unit operators in the US increased from 34,462 to 43,212, representing an increase of over 25%. Of this figure, around a third owned between two and nine locations. Huge groups that own upward of 500 sites comprise around 4% of the total franchise industry. So why do franchisees lean toward multi-unit growth? And why has the franchise industry seen an exponential increase in this type of ownership across the past decade? Join us for Multi-Unit Month and discover all you need to know about the future of franchising. On this introductory episode, we'll be joined by three experienced individuals who each represent distinct aspects of multi-unit franchising. Throughout our conversations, we'll cover the fundamentals of what multi-unit ownership is and why so many entrepreneurs are trending toward this form of franchising. We'll examine the mentality required to shift from owning one location to several and what challenges that evolution can bring. To kick off our month-long podcasting series, we're joined by Paul Whitaker, a franchise consultant at Franchise. Paul has operated in many franchising roles throughout his career, including his tenure as a multi-unit franchisee for a prominent kitchen and bath brand. Now as a consultant for Franchise, he uses his extensive expertise to help develop brands looking to expand their networks. We ask Paul about his thoughts on what it takes to transition from single to multi-unit ownership, as well as the kinds of industries that are ripe for multi-unit growth. Yeah, this is probably one of my favorite topics and very uh, thorough on with, with candidates that I'm working with because of my past experience in multi-unit franchising, because it is a very um, important part of selecting the right franchise and setting yourself up for as much success as you want to take on. And that's really what it's all about. So multi-unit franchising is really the ability for an individual to get and acquire additional licenses to uh, an area, territory, for example, a defined parameters around territory. It could be a certain amount of distance or population of the target segment for that particular brand. Or in brick and mortar situations, it can be based largely on the sim similar criteria, but it's based on number of units that you actually open, so number of actual physical locations. So there's, you know, there's lots of advantages to making sure that when you're going into a franchise opportunity that you're considering the implications of, of staying as a single location or looking to do multi-unit. 
Right. Okay. And as somebody who has developed their own franchise portfolio, are there any kind of key mental shifts, let's say, that take place when transitioning from a single unit operator to a multi-unit franchisee with a considerably larger portfolio of locations? Yeah, I'd say that's a, it's a big shift if you started as a single location and then decided after you were successful that you wanted to acquire additional territory or additional units after you've, you've already built out the first one. Because a lot of times if you're in a really uh, hot uh, brand that's scaling very quickly, the territory might not exist. So you may be kind of locked into your location or territory with no room to grow. And so that's one of the reasons why I always bring it up very early on with candidates to be considering the end game um, in terms of you know scalability, um, a desire to um, grow exponentially. Um, so you know, as back to your question, as a single unit owner, um, if you're used to operating in one location, now you're looking at potentially a second lease. Um, which can be daunting to someone who's only had a single lease and has that kind of single mindset. Um, you also have to start thinking about labor and just being able to handle and represent the brand in the best possible light by expanding into these multiple territories. You have to be ready for that challenge and be prepared to take on that additional demand, labor, expense. But ultimately, I think what you probably hear from a lot of people that have multi-unit ownership experience is that it's much easier to have multiple locations than to have a single location because the additional locations allow you to generate more cash flow, which give you more flexibility on labor. Um, it can also allow you to put a general manager in charge of the operation. So it can allow you to step back and work on the business instead of in the business um, with a single location and limited labor. You have you know, potential, less, less, less potential, more potential to have people that aren't available. You don't have a, a bench. If several people are sick, you've got to cover. Uh, when you get into larger multi-unit operation, you've got more labor, you can move people from one location to the other, um, and things can get a lot easier. Right. And just to come back to one of the points there, you mentioned about scale and when an entrepreneur may find that they've, you know, saturated their their area for franchising. Um, would you say that multi-brand franchising could potentially be a viable alternative for somebody who wants to develop their portfolio, but can't do so through an individual um, concept? Or are there a lot more, you know, steps and challenges that mean that it's a little more complicated than just going from multi-unit to multi-brand? That's a great question. Um the first place you'd have to start was, is with the franchise agreement because there are a lot of brands that will not allow you to take on a second brand. They consider that um, you know, you're splitting your time too much uh, across too many things and won't allow you to do that based on their agreement. But one of the things I've seen emerge in service-based franchises is, is actually kind of welcoming that. So you have a lot of these um, parent company franchisors that are are developing multiple like home service brands and they're, they're allowing you to do what they call stacking where you can all the back end operational capabilities, marketing is all basically the same for the owner's perspective. But on the front end, the consumer experience is a totally different product or service. So it allows you to leverage your operational capabilities 
and your labor and your crews and your equipment and your storage facility, but then present yourself in two different brands to uh, clientele. So, so they're really embracing it now within a, you know, a, a larger franchise organization. The question is whether or not your franchise will allow you to go to a separate organization and, and add a second brand. But certainly it's very viable if it's possible. So it's almost, it sounds like there's, you know, that's kind of a hybrid arrangement almost where it is technically multi-brand franchising, but as you say, where you're all under the umbrella of a franchisor that owns multiple brands, you know, you're still within their parameters and you still use their operations, um, which is quite an interesting sort of third option, I suppose. Um, Where you mentioned that, you know, uh, traditionally maybe with multiple units, it can be better because then you can split staff, for example, across multiple areas. Are there any particular areas of franchising as in industries um, that lend themselves more towards that multiple unit ownership? So for example, you know, restaurants is a big one that people um, assume where, you know, a restaurant operator may have three or four, let's say McDonald's locations, but multi-unit obviously is across, you know, it's a franchise wide thing. It's not specific to the F&B scene. From your experience, are there any areas that um, that are more beneficial for multi-unit operators than maybe single-unit operators? Yeah, I would definitely say in the home service category, um, where you're talking about expanding territory geographically, um, when I'm working with candidates, I'm always recommending that they try to grab as much territory as they can up front um, and kind of grow into the territory uh, because you know it, it basically gives you the ability to you know buy future potential customers and not lock yourself in. When I purchased my franchise, I purchased multi-unit from the very beginning, and it's hard even living in a market to know where the pockets of demand are. As much as it might look good on paper, you can be very surprised where the customers are and, and start showing up as you get into business. We were very surprised with some of the markets that perform extremely well in our franchise. But we would have never known unless we made the commitment to multi-unit franchising from the very beginning. So I think it's a really, really important thing to consider, you know, at the very beginning, as you're kind of beginning with the end in mind, there's so many variables to consider and advantages of, of going multi-unit. The only reason not to would be if you were limited on working capital, um, because you want to make sure you've got plenty of capital to you know, serve your customers in your current market. But if you can grab that territory from the very beginning, it's going to be a huge advantage, especially as you're looking at the current retail environment with COVID, for example. Um, If it's brick and mortar, you're going to have a lot of lease leverage um, with landlords because you're going to be able to put out a lot of different uh, LOIs to multiple landlords to try to negotiate and lower that initial investment. And you're also going to have location diversification as well, because you might not necessarily know where that location in your given territory is going to perform better than the other. So it allows you to kind of spread that risk across potentially other areas in the market. And there's just a laundry list of reasons why you ought to consider multi-unit ownership at the very beginning of the process and not think of it afterthought. Yeah, so it's a good idea, as always, to be very proactive with your your business development strategies. Um, the the last question I've got for you, Paul, is just kind of examining why um, the number of multi unit franchisees, both in the states but also worldwide, uh, has increased over the past ten years. Do you have any sort of thoughts on why that might be? Yeah, I think I think people are franchising. You know, there is it's become much more viable 
you know, the Federal Trade Commission is heavily involved to protect uh, candidates when they're looking at franchises. So there's a lot of protection around franchising. So I think the risks of getting into some of these systems, you know, the and the, and the kind of uh, scalability and performance that they're seeing across brands has built confidence in people's desire to be in franchising. And so when people are getting into franchising, they're, they're thinking about these kinds of things that I've mentioned around the desire to build in scale from the beginning. The ability to, you know, own the customer experience. So anytime that you're in a market and you have, you know, multiple territories available, you are in business for yourself. You're not by yourself, but you're also going to be in business with that other franchisee. So the only way you can really control the brand experience is by gobbling up as much territory as you can. And in a service business, um, that's extremely important to ensure that, you know, the way that you're trying to deliver your brand every single day to a customer is consistent. So it, it gives you more control over a service area. Um, and I just think you've got a lot of really smart people that are coming into franchising and thinking about all these things up front. And so it's lending, it's taking them to these larger territories where they want the ability to grow into something. They know that even an undeveloped territory is still an asset on the books. And they're also thinking about the end game of, of when they're going to go to sell. So the exit strategy is to sell. Well, if you try to sell and you only buy, you know, one little small territory and it's boxed in and there's a bunch of franchisees around you, then that's not going to be very desirable when you go to sell it. You're going to have to be much more attractive in a much larger territory. So you kind of have to think about the future buyer at the same time. So I think these are the kinds of things that are going through people's minds as they're thinking about how to get in and do it the right way. And and it's also a form of risk mitigation against um, you know demand. I always tell people in franchising the biggest problem to have is too much demand. And one way you can try to ensure uh, protect yourself is to buy more territory um, because it's just more customers that you can serve. So I think you have really smart people getting into franchising. Um, you know, people I'm working with are. You know, very, very uh, seasoned, skilled, C-level executives that are looking into franchising and looking to do things big. You know, they're, they're coming from big corporate jobs and they're used to, to doing big things, not small things. So I think that's it's part of it is, part of it is the profile of the type of people getting into franchising now versus maybe the past. Yeah. So it sounds like if people go about it the right way and, you know, really prepare beforehand, like you've emphasized that multi-unit could really, you know, see even more of a demand over the coming decade as franchising becomes a more common uh, business model throughout the, well, every kind of industry, really. One of the key lessons that we can learn from Paul's insight is that jumping into multi-unit franchising isn't as straightforward as simply opening up another location beyond your initial site. It takes a lot of planning, strategizing and capital to truly reap the benefits that come with managing more than one unit. If an entrepreneur is able to take on this responsibility, however, then those benefits are plenty. Cash flow, labor and general availability really open up when more than one franchise location is bought into the equation. And these factors only become more flexible as more sites are added to a franchisee's network. But what exactly does it take to be a successful multi-unit owner? And what should franchisors be looking for when scouting out the right individual to expand their brand into an untapped market? Our next guest, Therese Thilgen, provides some detail on these areas and much, much more. 
As the co-founder and CEO of Franchise Update Media, Therese has seen firsthand how multi-unit ownership can be beneficial for both entrepreneurs and brands looking for exponential growth. She is also one of the key figures involved in the annual multi-unit franchising conference, where countless franchisors and franchisees network and build fruitful business relationships. We speak with Therese about the ideal multi-unit profile and why understanding this is a crucial step for brands taking advantage of this form of expansion. Therese also weighs up the necessity of previous franchising experience when it comes to brand new multi-unit owners and explains why the 20th anniversary of the multi-unit franchising conference is one that the franchise community can't afford to miss. First off, uh, the financial capability uh, is, of course, critical. And uh, ensuring that the financing itself really supports the short and long-term goal of the business, especially in those early startup phases. Mm. I would say the character of the individual looking to become a multi-unit franchisee, this individual really has to have a lot of ambition and drive. And I would say have a love for people because people are, you know, people are everything. People are how this uh, multi-unit franchisee is going to grow his or her organization. So uh, that leads to uh, building a successful team and a system where, you know, a multi-unit franchisee can uh, motivate the team. You know, we talk about self-motivation, but as a leader, provide levels of vision and inspiration for his team, and always try and get that next manager lined up to move into the next location that they're going to, you know, that they're going to open. And then I mentioned it already, uh, just leadership uh, and, and interest, continuous interest in leadership and everything that comes with the game. And that includes uh, vision and inspiration. Right. Okay. And do you think that um, multi-unit franchisees or people wanting to embark on that kind of journey necessarily need to have a deep background in franchising or, you know, is that something that they can perhaps learn along the way of it, uh, as it were? We see lots of individuals come into franchising without any franchising experience. However, those that jump in uh, right off the bat, knowing that they want to move toward a multi-unit growth strategy can be trained by the franchisor, but with that comes a level of experience and success from previous, uh, be they jobs, other businesses, other endeavors. So to become a multi-unit franchisee, in essence, there is a level of sophistication, for a lack of a better word, about business uh, to, to really be successful and to also understand these people have to understand that there is always risk involved. This isn't a slam dunk, that there is a lot of energy and people management and site selection and and so many uh, so many items that are critical to the success of being a multi-unit franchisee. Now I'm going to expand on that a little bit more. I hope I'm not getting ahead of myself here, but many many franchisors 
are seeking existing multi-unit franchisees that are either looking at diversification to move into another brand, which of course would have to be a non-competing brand. Um, and franchisors get very excited um, about working with multi-unit franchisees, the right franchisee, uh, because of their experience, knowledge, and understanding in franchising and a successful a successful track record, of course, comes into play. Certainly. And um, and as well as that experience that's kind of needed or at least very much helps when you're initially becoming a multi-unit franchisee, um, what do you think are some of the main challenges that franchisees may encounter as part of that initial step into multi-unit business ownership or along the way when they've got a few units up and running and are perhaps looking to expand that portfolio? I think it comes back once again to people because as you grow and develop more units. Uh, you can't really after two or three, typically, this is what we've learned. You really move into the challenging piece of your growth because uh, you can't be in all, you know, all places at once. So developing that people team, always having your next manager in line to run you know, additional units, and then you continue to build your infrastructure so that, you know, when you, you, you know, you're going to potentially need a, you know, an accountant, maybe full time when you get up there with so many units, you're going to need a financial manager. You're going to need a general manager to manage the managers, et cetera, et cetera. So I, once again, I think it comes uh, back to people. I know an issue here in the United States, and I'm sure in other parts of the world, if you have, you know, we're, we're a physical location, you know, we always say location, location, location uh, is, an, is a critical driver of business. Finding those A sites are really hard to come by. And so you know, A, B sites, B sites. Sure. A lot of those are growing right now, but finding the real estate has become much more of a challenge, especially in the larger cities where, you know, franchising has been around a long time. Right. And do you think that challenge of finding um, key sites could perhaps be, if not, you know, completely eradicated, at least maybe alleviated with the, um, you know, the impact of COVID-19 this past year, where a lot of businesses and properties are going to become more available, where unfortunately other brands have um, fallen by the wayside? There's absolutely no question about that. I mean, we know from uh, surveys, research conducted by Fran Data. Uh, here in the United States that, uh, you know, there, of course, have been a number of closures. And so those franchisees, multi-unit franchisees and franchisors, for that matter, who have really been paying attention to the marketplace, they're paying attention to the brands that are experiencing closures, number one, and then there are quite a quite a few transfers going on, you know, within the organization. So people inside uh, a brand, franchisees inside an existing brand uh, are paying attention and communicating with their franchisors uh, about some of the transfers in the system and are clearly paying attention to stores that have shut down. And there certainly are a number of them. Yeah. So having your finger on the pulse is really paying off uh, for certain entrepreneurs. For sure. 
Um, the the last thing I want to talk to you about, Therese, is of course the upcoming uh, multi-unit franchising conference that's taking place this August and September. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell me a little about what aspiring entrepreneurs, franchisees, but also franchisors who maybe are choosing to exhibit at this year's event um, can really get out of the event. Why is it, you know, a real a real uh, key event on the franchising calendar? Well, this is going to be the twentieth anniversary of the multi-unit franchising conference. And that's pretty exciting that we are still breaking records every year in terms of multi-unit, multi-brand franchisee attendees. Uh, Our exhibit hall of franchisors, uh, over 250 franchisors, is already sold out. Um, In terms of the value, infinite knowledge. Uh, is the first thing that I would say. If you're an existing franchisee and you want to network and learn from other franchisees at different stages of growth, this is the place for you to be, to network, rub elbows, etc. It's a very honest group, multi-unit franchisees, pretty much, you know, they have um, their, their money's on the line as franchisees. Sure, yeah. So the supportive climate is pretty spectacular and it always has been in terms of franchisees from different brands, even competing brands, sharing strategies, um, successes, failures, uh, so on and so forth, and opportunities uh, to move ahead. So it's, it's really uh, an environment like no other. And then finally, there are a number of, in terms of these franchisors, you do have brand representatives, high-level brand representatives uh, from all of the franchisor and financing brands, for that matter, that want to engage with existing multi-unit, multi-brand franchisees. Right. That's all really great to hear, particularly, as you say, about the the collaboration on offer. I'm sure that's something that a lot of um, brands are really looking forward to, particularly as we come out the tail end of such a you know global shakeup with coronavirus. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Therese touched on a trend that you'll be hearing a lot of throughout this series of multi-unit focused podcasts, people, specifically how building the right kinds of relationships, delegating to the most experienced managers and appointing the most passionate individuals to your team can really propel a franchisee's multi-unit network from satisfactory to exceptional. People skills are going to be absolutely vital moving forward, with more entrepreneurs than ever recognising the benefits that come with getting involved with a franchise network. The brands that grow most throughout the coming months will be the ones that are able to tap into the human element much more than their competitors. And at events like the Multi-Unit Franchising Conference, the community element driving franchising is on display like never before. To really showcase the human side of franchising, we wanted to conclude this first episode of our Multi-Unit Month Takeover by having an in-depth conversation with an accomplished multi-unit franchisee. Monica Rubin is the owner of three successful School of Rock education centres and opened her most recent site last September right in the midst of a global pandemic. But despite these external hardships, she has persevered, partially thanks to the ongoing support of her franchisor and the enduring resilience of the multi-unit franchising model. 
Monica opens up about the very real fear that can come with handing over responsibility of certain processes to colleagues and how business owners can transform from working in the business to working on their business. She explains the tangible benefits that have come from opening more than one location and how School of Rock has facilitated her ongoing development. So the reason why I even knew School of Rock existed other than the movie, because everyone thinks that the school is based on the movie and it's not the school came first. Um, But my son is a musician and when he was nine years old, he wanted to basically jam with other musicians. And the traditional music school just didn't offer that. And when we found School of Rock online, I was convinced that I broke Google because I put in a search of how can my son play with other, you know, musicians his age and Google's like School of Rock. And I went, no, that's a movie. (laughs) (laughs) And lo and behold, it was not. And Mm. from that day on, when we walked into the first School of Rock, you know, there was this healthy, inspiring, encouraging environment. And it it made me rethink what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I wanted other kids to experience that. And I'm not going to lie, you know, I love rock and roll. And I wanted to say that I was in the music business because <laughs> in my head, I'm a sick drummer, you know, <laughs> and the idea of having a small business, it was exciting, mm. but I quickly learned there's nothing small about a small business. Right. So, you know, I had opened it with this romantic notion and then, you know, I got punched in the gut because there's long hours, there's a lot of work. And again, there's nothing small about small business. Today, on my third location, I have to say I'm even more excited than I initially was. But for a different reason. You know, I'm excited because I'm seeing kids like my son have the opportunity because of School of Rock become the next Dave Grohl. Right. You know, and now it changed. I still love rock and roll, but it changed how I listen to music. I listen to it differently. You know, I, I can appreciate the instruments and the lyrics mean tambourines. Sometimes the tambourine gets no love and now I hear it. And I also think about how much an artist makes. It's so minuscule every time we play their songs. So my whole life changed. (laughs) Right. Okay. And um, obviously, you know, you chose to open multiple School of Rock locations as opposed to perhaps going down the multi-brand route or maybe even after, you know, recognizing the success that could be gained opening your own business. Um, And why was that? Why did you choose to stick with School of Rock as a franchisor and open subsequent locations with them? You know, School of Rock is incredible and not because I'm an owner, but because there's so much that's going to happen in the future that not even we realize. And I wanted to be a part of that from the beginning, you know, because the music industry is constantly changing. And now because of COVID, I believe it's going to change again. And I wanted to be a part of that. Owning one school you're still figuring things out. You know, you're faced with the excitement of owning one school and the anxiety of the unknown. And you want to micromanage every aspect of your business. And then when I opened the second school, I was trying to replicate what I did with the first one. And I quickly learned, well, that's not how it works. Mm. You know, cultures are different. The pulse of the schools are different. People are different from one territory to the next. By the third school, I'm starting to realize that 
I'm no longer a small business, but that I'm actually running a little enterprise. And, you know, yes, there's the economics of scale that, you know, it, it's better to have more than one location. But now my focus is different because I'm focusing on team development. You know, I, I'm I'm developing other people on my team that can execute my strategy. So with each school that I opened, I became different as an owner. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, you know, we've spoken to other sort of professionals like yourself who do talk a lot about that transition and, you know, multi-unit very much is going from working in your business to on your business. Um, and I was wondering, you've kind of touched on it there, but how that was for you in the sense of, I imagine your first location, you were very hands-on with the actual running of the day-to-day, but how was that for you kind of putting certain responsibilities in the hands of other people? I mean, obviously, as you say, you've got to really build a team you can trust, but how was that process uh, on your end? Terrifying. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I completely terrifying. I, I knew where everything was in every room. You know, I knew everything on the schedule. I, 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 I just knew every little thing about the business. And now I still know everything about the business, but I don't have to micromanage. I don't have to micromanage if Joey can't come in on Thursday, if he's on the schedule, you know, I could put him on the schedule for Tuesday, but I do have someone who's responsible as an administrator who can oversee the instructor schedules and the student schedules. And then I have someone who I did all the marketing before, and now I have someone who could do booking and, you know, help me with events. So really, you know, what it did was I'm still hands-on. I work more than ever. <laughs> you know? And I bounce from one location to another every single day, but letting go and trusting other people and accepting that they love my business almost as much as I do and they want to do the right thing by it, that was the most difficult part. So um, so as well as some of the the inherent benefits you mentioned, you know, the economies of scale, um, what were perhaps some of the more unforeseen things that you hadn't perhaps anticipated moving to multi-unit ownership? You know, were you able to um, put staff across different locations where necessary, certain things like that? Mm-hmm. So I think having multiple locations made me a better owner. Um, it, it helped me give jobs to team members, you know, and, and people that I really wanted to hold on to, but with one location, I couldn't afford to keep them on. So I could offer them now job security with three locations. I'm also looking at people differently. I'm looking deeper to find what their strengths are. And now I'm trying to think of what the right position is to promote them accordingly. And that I think helped them because, you know, it's a music school. We're hiring younger uh, employees and helping them find who they are and what their strengths are. It's actually been a challenge, but it's part of what I love. Let's see. Another thing is having one school made me dependent of the local market. You know, having an event, I was very dependent on what was going on. And having events is really where we do most of our marketing. Sure. With three schools, we create the show. I can pretty much set up with, you know, 500 people anywhere and, and make it a marketing event. So that was very helpful. Yeah. And uh, that's really positive that, um, you know, there's been uh, more than just the economies, which obviously in itself is a very positive aspect of multi-unit ownership. Um, and the the last question I've got you for you, Monica, is just uh, about School of Rock as a franchisor, you know, particularly in the past um, year when 
I imagine you've had to shut down some of your locations or at least adapt the offering. Um, how have they been as a franchisor in assisting your multi-unit growth? I mean, you opened, you know, as we mentioned at the top, you opened your latest location still during the peak of coronavirus. So how was that for you? So look, we all struggled during COVID. And I have to say that the franchisor did a magnificent job during that. What they did was they did a lot of the legwork of setting up the framework for us. So they focus on what we needed and we were able to focus on what our customer needed. And that was important, you know, getting that email of how to get your PPP where and and the CEO's phone number where I could call him pretty much 24/7, it, it made a difference. You know, they also were able to add products for us. So we have the recording program, a songwriting program, online lessons, master classes, a proprietary master um, uh, method app. Those are things that aren't going to go away just when COVID goes away. Those are now products that we have. So as a franchisor, I think they grew significantly in the past seven years. Um, during COVID, I think, again, I think they did a fantastic job. Their sky was falling too. <laughs> and while that was happening for all of us, they were focused on, again, helping me catch some of that sky and making sure that I could focus on my customers. That's really, really great to hear that it's been uh, as positive a journey as, uh, as you could hope for really during this really difficult time. It was really great to hear from a flourishing multi-unit franchisee, particularly after obtaining so much context around the business model from Paul and Therese. Monica's candidness about her fears of relinquishing control over every aspect of her business showed that multi-unit ownership isn't always easy, but when managed correctly, it can turn a passion into a sustainable lifestyle. That brings us to the end of our first episode in our series of multi-unit specific installments of the Global Franchise Podcast. We've laid the foundation for much more to come, and next week we'll be speaking with experienced multi-brand franchisees and franchisors to provide you with hands-on tips to achieving multi-unit excellence. New episodes of the Multi-Unit Month Takeover of the Global Franchise Podcast are being released every Friday throughout May, so make sure to subscribe via Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts and visit globalfranchisemagazine.com forward slash multi-unit month to keep up to date with the latest bespoke content.